This is a Ward Scott Files advisory. The Ward Scott Files podcast may contain material not suited for people who are easily offended. Trust us on this. This show contains adult information and opinions. Please protect small children, sensitive pets, fragile houseplants, and liberal relatives. Thank you. Warthog. He's going to come up the steps. Here he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. Help me! Help! Help! Good morning, good morning. Professor Ward Scott here in the Manly Warthog Man Cave inside the Milton Law Studio, protected by crime prevention and sponsored by all the great sponsors you see rolling by on our screen. And... People who donate to us, we thank them as well. Well, uh, on the spot, always patronize on the spot cleaners, great people. And, uh, of course, we have Style Cuts there. Our official Barber R&R Construction has been in our corner forever. Great, great outfit. And uh, uh, we'll just uh, continue more. Shoot GTR, of course, is uh, very supportive of the Ward Scott Files. And uh, we'll continue to highlight this at the halftime here. Um well, I got to tell you one thing. Uh, I was just talking with uh, my good friends here at production before we came on the air. You talk about uh, everything being sucked out of the room. Um, this whole argument about who's going to run the, be the Speaker of the House has sure done it. There's not a whole lot of other news out there being generated. And you have to realize it's not being generated because until they get a speaker, nothing gets done. Uh, the new people don't get sworn in. Uh, the committees don't get structured. The bills don't get argued about on the floor and the battle between the uh, left and the right, which is what we now have uh, pretty well pronounced, um, is, um, is um, on hold. And perhaps no better indication is of this, how deeply serious people are about this battle between the left and the right and the, and the, the people who cave than the, the argument to hold out we have now with the speaker. There are actually deals being done behind the scenes, although they may not amount to much, wherein Democrats may be influential. Imagine this, and who becomes a Republican speaker. Uh, you know, that, that's, 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 not, that's not the best of all worlds, I would think, particularly when you, we hearken back to some things which uh, uh, I'll go over here in a little bit. Uh, meanwhile, uh, we have a, a Breitbart covering a story, which we covered yesterday or the day before, I think, when we had uh, an update on uh, the people we've been finding who have been, of course, voting without uh, a permission. You know, when I was a kid, we used to have to have permission uh, to go out uh, onto the, the uh, uh, hallway. We had to get a hall permit. And... Uh, you know, it was very difficult to get a hall permit because, you know, most kids would take advantage of it and goof off. I always went to my, the only time I ever asked for a hall permit and the only reason I wanted it was just to get some relief from the tedium of the, of the, of the, of the, of the classroom was from Miss Page, an old maid English teacher we had whom I really respected and liked. Most people didn't like her and most people were afraid of her. But I really respected her and I liked her, although I don't think she cared whether I liked her or not. You know, uh, she was a no-nonsense uh, grammarian, uh, no-nonsense high standards uh, when you use the language. And she's one of the first ones that I really knew cared about us. Uh, she wasn't uh, uh, anything that uh, others wanted to get crossways in the road with because I remember that she would always read our papers out loud. And uh, we had a bully in our school. Every school does. Big old boy. He'd been held back one year, I think, bigger and older than the rest of us. And uh, she asked us one time to write about uh, something that had been seriously moving to us. And so I remember this young man <laughs> uh, wrote about his dog being run over by a car. And uh, she read that paper aloud. And um, the, the, the writer had a sentence in it that went on and on and on 
without any uh, coherent uh, order to it. Um, and she read that sentence aloud. She had a very sarcastic voice when she read aloud, and she would put one hand on one hip if she were disgusted. And when she got to the end of this long sentence, which had no order, she said to the young man, Mr. So-and-so, uh, just how long was your dog anyway? And uh, the, the bully began to cry. Uh, I'll, I'll never forget that. I mean, it was one of the most memorable moments in, uh, you know, caring whether you were liked or not, but doing the right thing. And uh, I've always realized that since then, it's better to be respected than it is to be liked. <laughs> the reason I tell that story is, um, you know, what we do is uh, oftentimes not something which you'll, it gets you a, a, a kudos for being liked, but we have found these uh, uh, sex offenders in this case who were sentenced and uh, have been now sent off to the jug. Uh, this fellow was sentenced to 10 months in prison. And, uh, you know, people continue to say, even in high bureaucratic positions, oh, well, it's insignificant. It doesn't matter. You know, how long your dog was doesn't really matter. You know, you fulfill the assignment. Uh, you wrote the paper. Therefore, you get credit for doing that. No, you don't. You don't do it unless you do it right. And you do it according to something that makes sense. So uh, we're really kind of proud here of what we've done uh, locally to ferret out these things. Uh, they're going to be coming pretty quickly now, one after another, because they've found their ways into the court systems. Um, so uh, we uh, wanted to I wanted to follow up on that report and let you know that uh, it's a uh, it's a uh, you know, something they do keep their eye on. Breitbart is a very significant online publication, as you might know, and they are they keep a watchful eye on the Ward Scott Files in Alachua County and Mark Glazer. So um, John Binder is the fellow who wrote this. Uh, John Binder has communicated with us, uh, as have other people on the Breitbart uh, news scene. So we are making headway in terms of um, trying to, create order in the voting system, uh, albeit we um, have the highest success rate, really, of anybody doing it. The state hasn't really had any success, and they've run into a logjam in the court, and et cetera, et cetera. You know, you get too many cooks in the kitchen and too many people wanting to take credit. Oftentimes, this is what happens. And this is kind of the general theme we're going through today. I call this show today, The House Divided, uh, because... Uh, we are very, very near uh, in many ways what really was the tone and the climate before the Civil War. And I've been saying this, for, and I'm talking about the one in the 1800s. Uh, I've been saying this for quite a while. Uh, there wasn't a quote-unquote congressional record then, but there was a congressional diary, so to speak. I've forgotten the exact name of it. You can go back and look at it and see that the arguments that were going on were not un not in many ways dissimilar to the ones going on now in how uh, entrenched the sides are and how absolutely there are two visions of what the country should be. That's basically what we're working with right now. And what we have here with our friend who is trying to become the speaker is that he's considered to be uh, no starch in the shirt, no, 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 no spine. He has caved to the other side, so to speak, uh, in order to get along, to get along. And there are a bunch of people who just have felt very much and very strongly, and we've interviewed these people on the show, that, you know, we've got to stop doing that. We've got to stick up for what we believe, so to speak, uh, our view of the nation is, and accountability. And I have to say that those seem to be the people who are most supportive of the rules, of the Constitution, of, uh, you know, things that actually set the parameters for what we're doing here. Uh, and it is not unlike what we have with, uh, with uh, 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 our situation with uh, our teacher, who was um, all about um, um, uh, getting the things uh, correct. And I'm looking for the show right now. I'll find it in a moment. I have to find it uh, in order to see who's chatting with me. But um, the, um, we, 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 let me just take a moment out here and see what we get. So that's really kind of what is uh, occurring right now, I think, on the national scene, if you will. Um, 
I think we've got it here now. Yeah. Let me just see if I can pull it up. Yeah. Thank you very much for bearing with me. Good morning, Doug Whitaker. Nice to hear you. I guess you're um, not back home yet, or are you? Anyway, um, this is basically what I see going on uh, now that I've you know been around this conversation with so many different people for so long. Uh, we have a house divided, and we have two different views of America, basically. And one is sort of a traditional view, and one is that, oh, well, it's too heavily influenced by you know, the European thing, it's a, it's a racist, this, you've heard all that stuff. And what we have here, we're looking for somebody who uh, is going to be able to, uh, you know, articulate or have a conversation between the two sides, but it's not going to be doing backroom deals with the other side and watering down the stance that uh, we think is the one that has to be adhered to if we're going to have a society that uh, is, is, is going to be stable. Now, let's just review what some of the things are, some of the priorities are that whoever becomes the speaker is going to have to shepherd uh, people through. And this, I think, is what uh, we are looking for. Um, we cannot continue to surrender energy uh, independence. Um, that can't go on. If it goes on, it um, undermines, and it's being done under the guise of, of uh, uh, climate change. And, you know, we've got to do away with the fossil fuels, and we've got to have electric cars and, and this and that. We've got to do it abruptly. We've got to do it quickly, or all, you know, the chick, uh, chicken little, the sky will fall. Uh, so what we've done is we've reduced our new gas and oil leases uh, to the lowest levels of uh, any president in history, Biden's done that. We've cut back on production, which uh, we, you know, so when we go get our oil from someplace else, they haven't cut back on their production. In fact, they're increasing their production. So if that's the case, then they're still contributing to the sacrosanct climate change. So that doesn't make any sense to people who, who recognize that there are certain economic principles here that result in a high standard of living and for more and more people than fewer because, you know, somebody's got to make the dollars uh, and make the wealth. As I said, one of the reasons uh, Trump had those, those tax uh, uh, opportunities, Congress gave them to him and Congress gave them to him so that he could reinvest that money and create jobs. That's the theory. And Trump was, was the risk taker. I've been the risk taker by taking a risk, signing on the dotted line for the loan and thinking that my vision of a project could work, I have to go out and make it work and hire people who in turn are honorable, who give their word, show up on time, um, uh, you know, do what they say they're going to do, do the job for what they say they can do it for. And that whole deal is the way uh, an entrepreneurship capitalism society works. Well, uh, that is based upon a whole number of uh, pieces being in place. And of course, at the very bottom of this is, uh, you know, energy, the sources of energy that are reliable and, 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 and plentiful. Now, we do admit that we should diversify our energy sources, but we're not going to do it by abruptly, all of a sudden, um, you know, pulling the plug from the wall. It's, it's not the way it's going to be. It took about 200 years, 300 years almost now. If, you know, the energy source was really argued about quite substantially in the Civil War. It's being argued about right now. And the Southerners really didn't want to buy into the fossil fuel society. They were an agrarian society. They, they, they were much a different view of how wealth was sustained. Wealth was not the same to a Southerner as it was to a Northerner. Um, there is a collection of essays called I'll Take My Stand which was written in the 30s by the Southern intellectuals who saw what was coming. And there's a article in there called Cousin Lucius. And Cousin Lucius grew peaches. And uh, when Cousin Lucius grew his peaches, uh, you could go to Cousin Lucius and get the peach off the tree. And you could see the tree and you could see the peach. And the peach was right there. And Along came somebody from New York as this industrial model for society got 
more and more entrenched in our culture and said, cousin Lucius, uh, you're not going, you, you know, we can take uh, a lot more peaches from you than you can sell to that individual person coming to your door and ship them to New York and uh, we'll pay you money for them. And uh, you'll make a lot more money. and We'll take every peach you got. Well, cousin Lucius fell for that. And what he, what chagrined him was when he began to see the labels come back on the peaches that he had sent. And they were labeled as if they had come from two different sources uh, in order to pit one brand against the other and make the price of one uh, higher than the other when they actually came from the same orchard. And he saw this and he realized right away that there was something dishonorable in the industrial model of society that uh, the North wanted to put into place and use as a way of selling his peaches. Of course, hello, goodbye. That's the way we sell peaches now. You can, of course, see the roadside peaches or the roadside this or that, and you can go and the farmer's there. But basically, you go uh, to uh, the supermarket. And when I was teaching, I had students pick their research papers, and uh, a, a young man uh, studied uh, the the comparison between a peach you buy at a supermarket and a peach you uh, buy from the side of the road. And he, he didn't tell the students would come up and have blind uh, bite into the respective peaches. And invariably, they, of course, they chose the peach. That they, or it's, in this case, it was an orange. Uh, the orange that they liked the best invariably ended up the one that was the freshest, the one that had been sold by the road. The problem with the one uh, from the supermarket is that it looked better and therefore it was more attractive to uh, the the students when they came to the table because they uh, equated appearances with the quality. And so they would pick the one that looked better. Well, the reason it looked better is it had been preserved. And the reason the one that didn't look as good uh, tasted better. It, had, it was all natural. It had nothing done to it. So that became a topic of conversation in the research class as to the merits and demerits of that approach to food. It was a very interesting uh, research project. Uh, nobody took a side on what to do because it is what it is. I mean, you still can get a, an, an orange off the tree, albeit fewer and fewer trees in Florida. Uh, but and you can still get oranges in the supermarket, but they're all going to be preserved in order to be on that table for you when you come in. And uh, they will be uh, uh, not as tasty, but you won't have anything to compare it to. So you, that'll be the taste that you will acquire. Now, we're getting into a society that is almost completely defined that way. Uh, uh, it is it is because fewer and fewer people actually sustain themselves uh, by their own growth from the land. They have abandoned the land. They've gone to the cities. So in order to go to the cities, we have to have energy. And the energy we have to have to heat and cool and build is fossil fuel energy. And here we are. The most It's built us into the most affluent nation, highest standard of living in the world, unprecedented. But here we are deciding because of climate change, that we need to tone all that down. But we have no land to return to. One of our laments from us here in Florida, who've been there for a long time, is to everywhere we go, we see a road grader, or we see a crane, or we see something that's moving dirt, because more people are coming, more people are coming. Can't we build a moat? Can't we stop it? No, we can't stop it. They're coming. And the more successful our governor is, that withstanding the woke culture, the more people are going to come. And it's just always been the case that Florida has been attractive, but now it's super attractive. It used to be attractive because it was cheap to live here. Relatively speaking, it is still that way, but it's not going to remain that way because of the demand for the limited places to stay. And it's, it's just one of the things that somebody is going to have to take the bull by the horns and deal with this. The other thing, of course, to cover this up, to mask this failure of this approach where we put all of our uh, resources in one model, that is to say, the urbanization of the land 
and the industrialization of the wealth rather than the uh, agrarian sense of wealth, which is fundamental basically to survival. We can clean out one of these supermarkets of food in a hurricane in about two hours, and there you are. That's how far away you are from starving. Um, we print money. We print million trillions of dollars. And consequently, one way to look at this debt is to realize that uh, you're, tr- you're printing trillions and trillions of dollars in order to cover up the failure of people to sustain themselves in any way other than uh, their, their, um, their dependence to be on, on money. Now, one of the things I ran across that I thought was pretty interesting is the debt is really much more than it's even calculated. And here's why Vince Kobler said a, a while back in the journal, the debt is even greater. He says it's more like $100 trillion. And here's why. It is the total obligations from the entitlements. Um, um, that, that You have to understand that the social insurance net is not figured into the debt. Um, it's about $71 trillion of promised money to retirees and health in Medicare. Uh, the social insurance obligations, the government says in their calculations, is not truly a debt because they say Congress has the power to curtail them by changing the law. So therefore, it's not a debt. Um, But it is an unfunded liability. And I assure you, if you take away that, and what chagrins you about Social Security is you pay into it, and you're taxed when you pay into it, and you're taxed when you take it out. So when you're doing the calculations on the debt, you have to calculate the social insurance obligations. Uh, This is a part of the liability and it's unfunded. It's also stolen from uh, by the bureaucrats. Now, this is what is so frustrating to us as we watch Congress search for a leader. Uh, We know that that debt has been built up by uh, those who uh, are anti-American. That's uh, kind of an oversimplification, but... uh, It is basically uh, a a view of America that social insurance should be expanded and money printed and fossil fuel energy diminished. Well, you know, when you add all that up, something doesn't work. It's a poorly written sentence. Uh, We need a, a teacher like mine who will come along and jerk a nod in the tail of these people and say, write this sentence well. That's what they're looking for in a leader in the House because they're, believe me, they hated that Pelosi. And she was an absolute promoter of all the things we're talking about, uh, covering up the flaws in this approach to the economy and this approach to uh, social independence as much as possible and the values that are in the Constitution. So, The other thing that's very damaging that we've been looking for somebody to confront and deal with has been this disregard for America's physical boundaries. You can't have a nation. Look at the issue that's going on right now with Russia and Crimea, or uh, Ukraine. Look how fiercely Ukraine is defending its boundary, its border. You know, the same thing was true in the Civil War. I'm drawing these parallels between the House divided now and the House divided then. The boundaries, okay, of the South, they viewed themselves as an an actual nation of a completely different social model. And, and, you know, they they used the slavery thing to inflame it. That wasn't the fundamental difference, Uh, you know, the, the, the fundamental difference between Russia and, crime and, and, and Ukraine is that Russia wants an empire. And that is a little tenuous in the minds of people who respect their boundaries. We're not about empire building, but we're about national security. We can't have national security without a respect for physical boundaries uh, and a respect for national identity, 
even down to the respect for our national language and national set of values. That is also, we're looking for somebody who would be the Speaker of the House who would lead that charge and who would not flinch and would not be influenced by backroom deals with the Democrats, which you have to know McCarthy's been doing. Uh, that people don't want any more of that. Now, the, another thing that has been destroyed, and by golly, look at the way in which the, uh, the, the, the Inquisition has been misdirected, the whole faith in elections. Uh, I just started the show with, with, uh, with what's going on in uh, the, uh, the world of elections. It ain't going away. It's been there forever. Nobody's wanted to talk about it. And it was definitely exploited by the Democrats. We know that with Zuckerbucks and absentee ballots and and uh, um, uh, the, 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 you know the voter IDs and all that stuff uh, in the name of ensuring everyone votes. Well, they they did. They got everyone voting. Isn't there some value, if you will, to use the car dealer? On citizenship, isn't some value on citizenship and knowing the construction of the country? Isn't there any value to that? Um, you know, we also don't hear any discussion about what to do with crime. We, we view what the Democrats are doing as making the criminal the, the victim and the, 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 the person who was uh, uh, robbed from of the, the, the criminal. And we see that in the protesting we've bumped into in, in looking into signing up these criminals to vote. When the deal was, you got to pay back what you took. And all the stuff we've been reading about what we've been uncovering as the War Scott Files, we don't see that. We don't see much at all written, if anything, about the victim, the hapless victim. We just, this guy Crump that just went through the jug, he killed a person. And, you know, it was broken down to this or that, but it was murder. And, you know, so what about, how do you pay that back? And, it, you know, I won't go into what he did with his, his sexual misconduct because it's is, is a family show. But I can tell you that you can't make up for that. We don't hear anything about the victim. Crime has been defined as a, a poor man's necessity. You know, the guy took the money because you ripped him off as a wealthy man. Where did that come from? It came from Obama. The bombinization of America. You didn't build that. Don't you remember that? Oh, you didn't build that. Well, the hell, well, you took the risk to build it. You see, that started the assault on somebody like Trump. If Obama said he's never built anything in his life, Obama, he never built one. Uh, he never built one apartment complex, one co He ain't built nothing. Nothing. So he criticizes a guy like Trump who's built everything. That's why you don't see more businessmen. They don't want to have to listen to gaff from a guy like Obama who hasn't done anything, but, you know, sup off the social network. You didn't build that. Well, by golly, I risked my time and money and energy and effort and health on doing it. Oh, really? See, that has become, uh, uh, that has become a, 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 a slogan of the left. So, uh, along with this, as my good friend Ray Sterno, is the demonization of law enforcement. I mean, we've got law enforcement positions going begging all over the place, the local level. Look at the Gainesville Police Department. I mean, it's, uh, it's, it's constantly meddled with uh, by the, uh, well, the communist commissioner who's taken a leave of absence for to regain, I guess, her sanity. Uh, uh, or some semblance, semblance of it, is, is incredibly uh, disdainful of law enforcement. I think they did away with their helicopter, I was told. You know, 
you know, it's just, and helicopters help locate lost people, people wandering around from dementia. It's not just chasing the guy who robbed the bank. So, you know, we have victimized the victims and we've exonerated the, the perpetrators. Um, we'll take a break here at the bottom of the hour. This is why I want to go through and set the culture for you in which this search for this magic Lone Ranger with the silver bullet uh, is going on. We're right back on the Ward Scott Files. Although the owner of Lewis Oil Company maintains she is 29, Lewis Oil turns 60 years old in June. Chevron would like to recognize the North Florida second-generation family-owned business, celebrating its growth and staying power. Lewis Oil Company maintains significant on-hand supplies, strategically located fuel depots, a delivery fleet, on-site service, fuel card locks, and convenience stores. Lewis Oil Company understands its responsibility in the local economy by providing service and delivery on on demand and in crisis. As a first responder for 18 Florida counties and the southeast from Texas to Virginia, we are proud of this rare accomplishment. Lewis Oil delivers. This is Ward Scott, and I want to thank all our sponsors who keep the show going and pay the bills. The Ward Scott Files premium sponsors are Crime Prevention Security Systems, large enough to serve you, small enough to care. Melvin Law, the only official injury partner of the Florida Gators. The Ward Scott Files Gold sponsors are Lewis Oil Company, Shoot GTR, On the Spot Dry Cleaners, RR Construction, and Style Cuts. If you are interested in promoting your business on the show, you can visit our website, www.wardscottfiles.com and click on the Advertise Here banner on the right side of the page or call my friend Freddie at 352-284-3733. Again, thank you to all the great businesses that support the Ward Scott Files. And remember, if you like the show, thank our sponsors and support the businesses that support us. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. May God have mercy on your soul. Or that very much surprises me that you've never been tased. You can't handle the truth! All these poop. Uh, Warthog. He's going to come up the steps. Here he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. Help me! Help! Help! This is Ward Scott, and I want to thank all our sponsors who keep the show going and pay the bills. The Ward Scott Files premium sponsors are Crime Prevention Security Systems, Large enough to serve you, small enough to care. Melvin Law, the only official injury partner of the Florida Gators. The Ward Scott Files Gold sponsors are Lewis Oil Company, Shoot GTR, On the Spot Dry Cleaners, RR Construction, and Style Cuts. If you are interested in promoting your business on the show, you can visit our website, www.wardscottfiles.com and click on the Advertise Here banner on the right side of the page or call my friend Freddie at 352-284-3733. Again, thank you to all the great businesses that support the Ward Scott Files. And remember, if you like the show, thank our sponsors and support the businesses that support us. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. May God have mercy on your soul. Or that very much surprises me that you've never been tased. You can't handle the truth! All these poop. Warthog. He's going to come up the steps. Here he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pet him. 
Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, thanks. Help me! Help! Help! Now for the weather brought to you by Lewis Oil. Welcome back to Ward Scott Files. Going to bring you the weather here brought to you by Lewis Oil and Wendell Lewis, who maintains she's only 29 years old forever. I got a supporter for that. You know how important that is. Uh, well, the weather here is kind of cleared out. We had some stormy weather yesterday and uh, we survived it. Had pretty good rainfall. Um, but um, out in California, and we'll probably be nudging 80 today uh, in, around the Piney Woods here. But out of California, there are 180,000 people without power. Uh, they had wind gusts come in from this cyclone event, they call it, uh, the bomb cyclone, as high as 85 miles an hour. Uh, this knocked out the power in central and northern California. They have more than 180,000 homes and businesses. They lost uh, uh, power. You know, back to this idea that we've all out here, you know, running on uh, this industrial model. Uh, of course, we know darn good and well that windmills and all this other business are not going to supply 180,000 pa- uh, homes with power. Um, so, you know, it's, it's, uh, it is what it is. Of course, also, you have the problems of water. All of a sudden, you either have feast or famine. You have no water, and then you have a lot of water. And a lot of what's going on with climate change is uh, simply due to clearing the land for people to live on. When you clear the land, uh, you have an issue. And a lot of places, that's happened. And that's happened in California. So uh, you've got a lot of rock slides, mudslides, county of actual evacuations around Santa Clara, Sonoma, places like this, Santa Barbara. Uh, that would be otherwise paradise, uh, have become paradise to too many people. So I suspect there's many ways we're going to reach the same crescendo here in Florida. Um, too many people after a while. Um, will cause the standard of living to be more and more vulnerable to um, normal activities of nature. So uh, we'll keep an eye on that. But that's basically the weather for today. We've got a pretty clear sky today. We had a troublesome sky yesterday, but other parts of the country, of course, are suffering a little bit more. Uh, Well, I'm going through right now today's show, The House Divided, to try to define the division. Uh, And for my own mind and in so doing, perhaps for yours as well. Of course, uh, most of this is just my uh, analysis and you're uh, welcome uh, to modify it, challenge it, reject it, whatever you'd like to do or use it as a springboard for your own thinking. But um, we're going through what some of the issues are that we're looking, I think, for uh, to ride into town on a white horse uh, and, and clean it all up. Um, so, um, this is this is a situation that uh, obviously is direly important to a lot of people. To or we wouldn't be going through this unprecedented kind of um, refinement, refinement, refinement. And uh, so the culture that I think we're having this discussion is is basically a, a you know not dissimilar in many ways from the discussions that were going on before the first civil war. Uh, the argument can be made we actually are in a civil war now. We're just not on a, not out on a battlefield. Um, we're in a civil war in in the conversations and in, in um, um, you know it's not a coup uh, as January sixth has tried to betray it. It's not a coup. It's two different sides of the aisle seeing two different priorities, and one is a priority that um, besmirches the American. Uh, uh, government uh, down to its foundations. And the other is one which honors its American government down to its foundations, recognizing we will constantly need to reevaluate it, but we have a process to do that. And the process is known as the uh, Constitution. Uh, We have a Congress, we have this and that. But we have a president right now who just ignores all that, declares the the debt for students, you know, uh, over. He can't do that. I mean, but he's going to do it until somebody stops him. And then if the court stops him, he's going to be he's going to demean the court. So uh, that's the type of world we're in. Um, You know, we need somebody to stand in front of the classroom and read the sentence out loud and make fun of it. 
and say, Mr. Joe, how long was your dog? And make Mr. Joe cry if he has to. But don't sugarcoat it. So we've got this. uh, Now we've got so much identity politics going on, uh, being conducted by superficial appearances. And unfortunately, that kind of becomes uh, emblematic of the way in which we do everything. Instant gratification, uh, surface uh, investigations, um, um, not very thorough examination. You know, I taught research writing to these students. And, and what they would do is as little as they could get away with. Most of them, the bulk of them. You'd have a good one now and then, a really good one. You get out of their way and let them teach you. But the large bulk of the students, you had to spur them. You had to, um, you know, trick them into actually wanting to learn something. Um, you know, I never had a, I never had an attendance policy because uh, it didn't work. Uh, you could say, well, you get six absences or stuff like that, just off the top of your head. Well, what's an absence? Well, I was, you know, I came twenty minutes late. I was there. So then you get into argument about what constitutes there. So what I finally decided to do, and it worked great. At the end of a class, I would say, you know, I, I take, take this, put this in your notes. This is what the quiz is going to be on the next class. And you can use your notes. The only thing is, I would give that quiz right at the beginning of the class, and it would be over five minutes later the opportunity to take the quiz. So if you were there at the beginning of the class, you got to hear all five questions. Each question was time to be given to the student and answered within a minute. And the student could read the notes. So all the student really had to do was just copy the answer off the notes from the previous class. If the student came in and I'd already given two of the questions, and the student sat down just for the third question and wanted to know what the two questions were he or she missed, they didn't get to hear them. That, that, that train left the station. So they only got to answer three, four, and five. Or if they came in and missed the first three, they only got to answer four and five. Well, a passing minimum standard for your quiz average was a 60, which means you were there to answer three questions. And very, very few had 100 because some would actually miss a question. There were occasionally a lot, quite a number have, but it sorted people out and it stopped the late arrivals because if they came in after the quiz had been given, they missed the quiz. And there were eight or nine quizzes during the course and the quiz grade could fail you in the course if the quiz cumulative grade was a failure. Because the quiz questions made up in total composition, the final questions. So if you were missing the quiz questions, you were going to flunk, ergo it followed, you were going to flunk the final. All you had to do for the final was study your quizzes. Genius. Absolutely genius on my part. I never had an argument about it. I put it in the first day handout and said, here are the, here are the rules of the course. Govern yourself accordingly. Well, what about the poor soul that couldn't find a parking spot? Well, leave five minutes earlier. Or don't schedule a class at this time anymore. But I ain't going to deal with that. I'm not going to go out there and try to validate whether you could find a parking spot or not. Come on. Train left the station. Pretty soon the excuses stop. Well, you know, this and that and I this and that. Well, I, I, wonderful excuse. But, you know, I think the funniest excuse that I remember getting was a guy who came to class with a notice that his, that the power had been turned off. And that was the reason he wasn't prepared for the quiz. And he turned in the the red tag power termination notice from the city in lieu of his quiz. 
well, you know, secretly I gave the guy privately an A in my mind for creativity. I thought this dude, he, he is going to be the president of the United States someday. Anybody who can come up with something like this, <laughs> you know, I, I, I smirk privately about that. So I asked him, I said, let's call him John. I said, which was not his name. I said, John, what is this power termination red tag notice doing on my desk in lieu of your quiz? He says, well, you know, you let it, and then here it goes. You let us use our notes, and my notes were on the computer, and I got ready to print the notes, and the computer wouldn't print them because my roommate didn't pay the electric bill, and the power was terminated. So, therefore, I couldn't bring notes to do the quiz, and therefore, I failed the quiz. I said, John, that don't matter. You still failed the quiz. <laughs> now, listen. One of these Supreme Court justices, I don't want to mention, she's the one with her heart, her hair is a fright. And I can't remember her name. I, I, you know, she's the most liberal one, I guess. She can't stand the fact <laughs> that the Supreme Court ruled that the abortion issue is not in the Constitution. Take it back to the states. Now, this is exactly what I'm talking about. So this Supreme Court justice is it Sotomayor? I can't remember. <laughs> this Supreme Court justice, I, I'm just going to speculate right now, would have allowed John an excuse for not having his notes because his roommate didn't pay the power bill. What, how other, what other logic can she come up with to justify sticking abortion into the Constitution? Huh? When it doesn't go there. I don't know. I see that. I see. I see great, the need for great teachers everywhere. Everywhere. Who will stand up there and read that sentence and say, Mr. Mr. Bill, how long was your dog? You know, or I say to John, John, I don't care if your roommate turned, didn't pay the bill. You get a zero on the quiz, my man. <laughs> so now we've got all these excuses. Uh, Non-citizens can come across the border. Non-citizens can vote. Non-citizens can be subsidized by you, the taxpayers who are here. Is they no? Is they nobody on a white horse with a silver bullet going to be the speaker of the house? Come on. We've had this crazy Pelosi in there. This is what I see going on. Okay. How about, how about the First Amendment? Have you thought about that? And how the government, the government has actually, this is a family show, but I'm going to say it anyway, gotten in bed with the tech geniuses who are a bunch of Un, uh, undisciplined little teenies running these tech platforms uh, and gotten talked Silicon Valley into silencing uh, free speech. Yours truly kicked off of YouTube. Me! Me! The professor kicked off. So what are we going to do about that? Where is the man on the white horse? And then, of course, anybody who disagrees with you, not only do you kick them off the tech, tech platforms and label them hate speech, but you call them semi, then you start name calling. Them. So you call them semi-fascists or, or, or uh, insurrectionists or traitors or, uh, you know, all this crap you see coming out of, of uh, this January 6th committee, which has been an, un, un, a, a stream, a constant stream, uh, you know, ever since Trump came down. Because Trump embodies it. It's not really finally Trump. It's all that Trump stands for and threatens them. And this McCarthy is a, and Trump didn't get, didn't gain any, 
he didn't gain anything by stepping into the, this fight. He should have stayed out of it. So that's basically the stuff that I see is kind of simmering. There's some other issues that come up, you know, the politicalization of, of practically everything that happens from COVID to, to um, um, you know, bathrooms, you know, everything's politicized. Um, so here, here, here's, here, here's where we are. Um, what can we do about this? I mean, I, I, I don't have a clue what we can do about it. It's, it's other than you find that guy on a white horse. Um, I have, I have looked this over a little bit, done a little more research on this to find out who these people are on that Ted Yoho and I talked about yesterday and I uh, thought I'd run this by you. I found this on the, uh, I think I found this in the Hill. Um, uh, you got Andy Briggs, Republican from Arizona. Uh, he is, um, um, label of course is hard, right? That's one of the things they do. The media gives you a label, you know, Rather than say what hard right means, like um, um, Mr. Bill, write a clear, clean sentence. You see, I'm pretty sure that if that teacher were alive today, she would be labeled hard right. Okay. Now, I've got to tell you, that was my junior class high school teacher. My senior class high school teacher was exactly the opposite. I had no respect for her. I hardly ever paid attention. I liked her. I mean, she's a nice lady. And that was her problem. She wanted to be liked by everybody. She wanted to get along with everybody. You can't get along with everybody. I don't know if my 11th grade teacher was liked by anybody other than me, who not only liked her, but respected her. And I don't think it was ever reciprocal. I never, I never heard one kind word back from her. On the other hand, I never heard one critical word. So, I, you know, I got by and she gave me a quarter pass. She was, I was one of the, I was one, really one of the only ways I knew that she probably liked me is that, you know, she would give me a quarter pass. No fanfare, no conversation about it, but she didn't give them to anybody. She didn't even ask me why I wanted it. And if I were in the corridor and somebody stopped me and asked for my pass, when they saw her signature, by golly, you were waved on. Nobody asked a darn word of you. That's how much weight her signature carried in the corridor pass. And I was always secretly kind of proud of having her signature on that corridor pass. And my whole life, I don't think I said more than maybe thousand words to her and I was in for a whole year in her class but I've never forgotten her I can see her right now I can hear the voice her voice was very very raspy and I kind of can't if I can just imitate it for you kind of like that because just how long was your dog anyway kind of loved her for that but she spoke the truth Another guy is Dan Bishop, North Carolina. He's a Freedom Caucus member. Uh, through Ted Yoho, I got to meet Mark Meadows, who was the chief of staff for Trump and a Freedom Caucus member. Nice guy, really good guy. You know, somebody, you, you know, I didn't ever sense any big ego out of him. You know, he was just one of us. He was a person, you know. And uh, I always remembered that. And what their he was this guy Bishop's objective is a centralization of decision making power, which has been going on. You know, Obama's been centralizing decision making forever now. Um, there's some, there's some. You know, I could go through this whole list. I've been looking at them to see what they're like, who they are. Um, here was a one who's a, who's a gun shop owner, um, Andrew Clyde from Georgia. He's, um, um, he's, he has called McCarthy a friend. And um, 
you know, that's okay. I'm sure McCarthy can be a friend. You can have friends, but they can't be the leader. They can't be good teachers. They can be your friend. I'm not, I don't even care if the teacher is my friend. I just care if the teacher is a doggone smart person and, and an honest person. Who t- when that grade, when that teacher puts that grade on that paper, by golly, that grade means something. And, and, and you know, one of the grades I'm most proud of is I got an A from, I told you that story, from Dr. Ans Oras. One of the most well-respected international literary scholars from Estonia that was smuggled out of Estonia by Kennedy because the Russians were going to kill him or put him in the gulag. And he came to the University of Florida and you were invited into his class by invitation only. Other professors would say, Dr. Ross, here is a good student I had whom I think you would enjoy having. You just didn't sign up for Dr. Ons or Ross's class. Somebody recommended you. And when I got in there, he was incredibly boring in terms of voice, tone, and inflection. And it was a deep thinker, though. And the reason he wasn't loud and dramatic and all that, he was thinking all the time. Constantly. And, you know, we only wrote two papers. And the first paper I wrote, I got a B. And I said, my God, you know, I can't have that. Not from this man. So I really started paying attention. I really, and he read that paper aloud. Okay. The same way my 11th grade teacher had. That's why I immediately connected with him. He, and he called me out. And I'll tell you what he said right now. I remember to this day, and this was in 1969. He said, Mr. Scott, you wrote that you want to narrow the point. Mr. Scott, one cannot narrow a point. A point is a point is a point. One may make another point smaller in diameter than that point or larger in diameter than that point, but it will be another point. You may make another point, but you can't narrow that point. Man, I said, that dude is on his game. I don't know, 1,500, 2,000 words in this essay, and he picked out that. So I sat down to be able to match his mind as best I could and get his approval. And we had a 15-page paper we wrote applying Aristotle's literary criticism and to a work. And arguing whether that work measured up to it or didn't. And I argued my point, <laughs> my paper, and I got an A minus. I'm gonna tell you why I got an A minus. But written on that paper, which I took with me for life and showed to my students at the college anytime they felt I was too hard on them, he had written skillfully argued. Man, I skillfully argued with Dr. Ans Oras. He gave me a minus because I misspelled one word. I misspelled, I think it was a lot, and I wrote it as one word, one is, or all right, and I wrote it as one word, A-L-R-I, when it should be A-L-L space R-I-G-H-T. One word, one word but it still was an A. And I kicked myself for misspelling that one word out of 15 pages of words. Have a great day. Warthog Command Center out.